something is changing at Channel Africa. Could it be news? Could it be your favorite presenter? Could it be? That's for you, our listener, to find out. From the 1st of April 2017, something will be changing or happening on your radio station. Be the first one to find out by staying tuned in. Don't miss it. Remember to check our website and all social media platforms such as Twitter at Channel Africa One, our Facebook page and Instagram and YouTube. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Lohoko, and Figle Lingwati. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa, concerns over deteriorating security situation in the DRC, and governments urge to do more to stop racial hatred. In economics news, World Bank disperses another $1 billion loan to Egypt, and in sports news, Botswana and Morocco's Football Association signed partnership agreement. But first up, the news with Anne Moussa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussam. At least five people have been killed after a car bomb exploded at a military checkpoint near the presidential palace in Somalia's capital, Mogadishu. Police say the bomb was detonated after soldiers tried to stop the car. No one has yet claimed responsibility for the attack. The blast came a few hours after Somalia's new prime minister unveiled a 26-member cabinet, the latest step as the fragile central government tries to further assert itself behind the capital. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari has condemned the loss of lives after gunmen killed 17 people, mostly women and children. This after gunmen invaded, gunmen invaded a farming community in central Nigeria in Buno State on Monday. Police say attackers on motorcycles and in a car opened fire on a market and set buildings on fire. Local media said between 30 and 50 people were killed in the attack in a region wrecked by a long-running conflict between nomadic Fulani herders and local farmers over grazing rights. The Under-Secretary-General for Peacekeeping Operations, Hachwe Latsus, says a political solution is the only solution to the conflict and humanitarian crisis that has befallen the world's youngest nation, South Sudan. Latsus was speaking at the end of a fact-finding mission to the country, says the UN was sparing no effort to speed up the deployment of 4,000 extra troops who will make up the regional protection force mandated by the Security Council. It is very clear that there can be no solution but a political solution. And I said so to the President today that he himself has offered a national dialogue, which I think is something that deserves close uh, following up in the knowledge that uh, it cannot be a substitute for the political solution. The wife of a Rwandan political opposition activist living in exile, Violet Umahuru, who was arrested in Rwanda last month, is expected to make a first court appearance in the capital, Kigali. The British-based woman disappeared in Kigali over a month ago. She had returned to Rwanda to attend her father's funeral. Rwandan government officials initially denied knowledge of her whereabouts before the police confirmed earlier this month that she was in their custody. She has been charged alongside a distant cousin, 
with the revelation of state secrets, formation of an irregular armed group and offence against the established government or president. And finally, where the forecasters are predicting that 2017 is likely to be one of the hottest, but probably not the hottest here on record. The World Meteorological Organization says climate change is to blame for the expected warm temperatures and not El Nino. The organization's spokesperson, Claire Nullis, says our warming planet has taken its toll on frozen icing flows. What we've seen this year is the Arctic was hit by three successive equivalents of heat waves. So rather than refreezing, there was actually you know, a period of time when it was above the melting level. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The deteriorating security situation in the Democratic Republic of Congo remains a source of major concern, while violence and threats to civilians are no longer concentrated in the east of a country. That was the message delivered to the UN Security Council by the Secretary-General Special Representative and Head of the Peacekeeping Mission to that country who warned that the uncertain political situation was exacerbating a resurgence of violence, often along ethnic lines. The implementation of a 31st December political agreement on a transitional government ahead of elections by the end of 2017 had also stalled. Show and Bryce Peace has more from New York. A political agreement signed between the major parties late last year envisioned a period of transition followed by elections before the end of 2017, allowing incumbent President Joseph Kabila to stay in power. But the UN's Maman Sidiko has warned that bottlenecks have developed in the implementation of that deal that, given the escalating tensions in the country, needed to be unblocked expeditiously. The resurgence of violence in certain areas in the rest of the country has been exacerbated by the uncertain political situation as well as the manipulation of grievances for political ends and the provision of support to armed militia by some political actors. The increasing use of self-defense militia acting along, along ethnic lines points to a growing sense of insecurity and uncertainty. President Kabila's failure to step down when his mandate expired has seen a spike in violence with hundreds of deaths reported across the country. Mass graves filled with rebel fighters have been identified in Congo's Kasai Central Province as the UN warns that human rights violations have increased some 30% in 2016 compared to the previous year. I am particularly concerned by report of, or reports of excessive use of force human rights violations, and the presence of mass graves in the Kasai provinces. I have encouraged the government of the DRC to conduct thorough investigations and to ensure that the perpetrators of these acts are held to full account. MONUSCO, of course, stands ready to provide its full support to the conduct of these investigations. The special representative says the UN's main strategic objective would now be to support the establishment of timely, peaceful and credible elections in the months ahead. The Secretary-General has appealed to the Security Council to deploy two additional police units to the country as a result. Council President for the month of March, the UK's Matthew Rycroft. The members of the Council reiterated their full support for the 31st of December political agreement and its pursuit of peaceful credible, free, fair and inclusive elections by December 2017. Secondly, we expressed our concern regarding the slow progress in the implementation of the agreement and urged all parties to work constructively in pursuit of full implementation of that agreement.
Given the evolving political and security dynamics, the Council will announce any mandate changes to the MINUSCO mission to which the SANDF is a party before the end of the month. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. People in the Democratic Republic of Congo are calling on the UN Security Council to renew the mandate of its peacekeeping mission in the country. MINUSCO has been in the DRC for more than 15 years and two weeks ago the Congolese authorities called on an evaluation of the current one-year mandate before the renewal. Januel Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. The UN Security Council always gives a one renewable year mandate for the UN peacekeeping mission, well known as MONUSCO, to operate here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The current mandate under Resolution 2277 that's expiring at the end of this month allows MONUSCO to use force in order to succeed neutralizing all the negative forces that continue to trouble peace in different areas of this country, especially in the eastern side where both local and foreign armed groups keep on violating civilians' human rights. The Minister of Foreign Affairs, She Okitundu, called on the UN Security Council to make sure the expiring mandate is evaluated before a new resolution giving another one year to the peacekeeping mission. But most of people here believe more new score has to be given a new mandate since there is no sustainable peace yet in the country. Some of those who accepted to share their views with Channel Africa had this to say. The UN Security Council has to renew the MONUSCO mandate because MONUSCO helps us to have peace in the country. The MONUSCO protects our population from violence and any other problems. I think that the UN Security Council has to renew the MONUSCO mandate because peace is not yet uh, stable. If just uh, MONUSCO leaves, war will return. MONUSCO came here. Help us over the peace everywhere and for everybody. The condition is very tough. It's not easy. It's very bad. In which way can we live? No way. And indeed, the security situation is not yet good since there are new areas of insecurity that have been identified. This makes it difficult for the UN Security Council to allow Monusco pulling out while its priority remains the protection of civilians. The UN Secretary General has then analyzed several issues in that way and that's why he suggested the UN Security Council to renew the peacekeeping mission mandate, although it's up to the Security Council to decide according to the MONUSCO Director of Public Information Division, Charles Bambara. This is really something the Security Council need to look at. They need to analyze the situation and they need to advise and take decision actually on the renewal or not of the mandate. So it is their really prerogative, as we say, uh, because it is up to them to really decide. If the mandate needs to be renewed, they need to give a new roadmap. They say this is what we need the MONUSCO to achieve in the coming year. So we know that the Secretary General Antonio Guterres has proposed to the Security Council to renew the mandate because in his analysis he has given a lot of point actually. He has analyzed the current situation in Eastern DRC and he has added that there are new area of crisis in the country like the Tanganyika province, the Kasai province where there is this militia called Kamwina Sapu who are really killing people. There is a lot of violence attacking even the FRDC etc etc. And he decided that the mandate should be renewed. Meanwhile the number of MONUSCO police staff has to be increased and the one of military staff to be decreased especially as we move towards elections operations in order to deal with electoral violence. That's another suggestion the UN Secretary General has made, according to the UN Mission Director of Public Information Division, Charles Bambara. We'll not have more blue helmet on the ground, we'll have more or less the same number of, uh, let's say, uh, peacekeepers in DRC. With the political violence which is increasing, with all these electoral related violence also, we don't need the military, we need the police to manage the crowd because there is a lot of violence crowd related here in the DRC so we need to see who can best manage that uh, violence it is not as I said the military but the police this is why the police number will be increased slightly 
not for all the country, but uh, the Secretary General is trying to target Lubumbashi and Kananga, where there is a militia who is doing a lot of violence against population. This country's government has asked more than once the UN mission to pull out, but Monusco always believes that there is no way to withdraw and leave the country under violence and insecurity situation. Channel Africa Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Let's go back in time to today in 1956. U.S. civil rights leader Martin Luther King is arrested and spends six months in prison for his role in a public bus boycott. That was today in history in the year 1956. Something is changing at Channel Africa. Could it be news? Could it be your favorite presenter? Could it be? That's for you, our listener, to find out. From the 1st of April 2017, something will be changing or happening on your radio station. Be the first one to find out by staying tuned in. Don't miss it. Remember to check our website and all social media platforms such as Twitter at Channel Africa One, our Facebook page and Instagram and YouTube. It's 8.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Now Ghana's Trade and Industry Minister Alain Kieremanten says the decision by President Nana Akufo-Addo to a point, more than a hundred cabinet ministers is geared towards the country's push for economic growth and development. The minister who spoke to the SABC said Ghana's new administration is determined to deliver on its electoral promises, hence the huge cabinet. He was speaking yesterday on the sidelines of the Africa Economic Platform in Mauritius, which focused on skills development in Africa. Sarah Kimani has more. On the last day of the conference, African governments came into the spotlight on their failure to prioritize the use of resources. A case in point, Ghanaian President Nana Akufo-Addo's appointment of a 110-member cabinet despite Ghana's ailing economy. The country's trade minister, Alan Kiremeten, defended the move. The most important requirement for delivering uh, the government's mandate is to make sure that you have the competent team that would prosecute the agenda of government. And this is what the uh, president has done by constituting uh, uh, the, the current cabinet. Also on focus on the last day of the meeting, youth unemployment and skills gap that exist on the continent. Dr. Emmanuel Nandozier is the executive secretary of the African Capacity Building Foundation. If you want to industrialize, if you want to bring about structural transformation, and if you want to really uh, bring about double-digit economic growth that will create jobs, then you have to pay attention to the critical skills that are needed to propel that. The Africa Economic Platform agreed to involve the private sector to build skills as well as create opportunities for the youth. Vuyani Jaran is the Chief Executive Officer of Vodacom, while Patrick Lamini is the Chief Executive Officer of the Development Bank of South Africa. What is needed is impatience about status quo. We don't have many decades to make a difference in Africa. We need a co- coordinated effort for Africa to claim its space in the digital economy. Least of all our people on the ground are expecting meaningful change in terms of our economic challenges. The African Union Foundation will converge in Mauritius next year to take stock of efforts towards Africa's economic growth. More leaders are expected to attend as a meeting will coincide with the country's 50th independence anniversary. Sarah Kimani, Mauritius. This took a bold step towards driving the continent's own integration and development agenda at the inaugural African Economic Platform held in Mauritius over the past two days. 
African political leaders, business leaders, the private sector and academia came together to discuss issues affecting Africa and how the continent can harness its vast resources to enhance the development of the African people. As Channel Africa's Ntlanta Mahlangu reports from Port Louis, the AEP will now be held annually with the aim to provide an environment for constructive multi-stakeholder dialogues around common themes for Africa led by Africans and which will ultimately influence continental policy. African heads of state, captains of the industry and academics gathered in Mauritius to reflect on how to accelerate the continent's economic transformation through collaboration, cooperation and joint ownership of Africa's continental goals. They tackled issues such as promoting value addition, processing and beneficiation of Africa, as well as the promotion of cross-border movement of factors of production, regional investment, as well as mergers and acquisition, amongst others. Dr. Anthony Motai Marupin, Commissioner of Economic Affairs at the African Union Commission, has more on some of the recommendations. Adopt and implement policies at national, regional and continental levels aimed at the reduction of cost of production of goods and services, improve the business climate and ease of doing business across the continent, including facilitation of business registration and providing requisite business development services, ensure that African products are patented with copyrights protection, explore the cloning of cells of plants and introduce tissue culture in agriculture, make agriculture attractive to young people in order to enhance their involvement. Discussions also included ways and means on how to ensure a competitive private sector across Africa that will be an engine of sustainable economic growth, employment and poverty reduction on the continent in the next decade and beyond. Representing the private sector and key sponsor is Vuyani Chirani, the Chief Operating Officer at Vodacom. We are particularly privileged to be part of this. Having listened to the different deliberations throughout the two days, I am convinced that Africa's future is brighter and indeed Africa's future economic uh, prosperity will be based on digital. At Vodacom will continue to invest in economic infrastructure in terms of the digital technology that will help African governments leapfrog the development trajectories of their economies and improve human livelihoods. Speaking in a briefing to wrap up the two-day gathering, the Prime Minister of Mauritius, Pravind Kumar Jagnath, said the launch of the African Economic Platform marked a paradigm shift and the opening of a new chapter in the history of the African Union. And I'm pleased to note that the different fruitful discussions that were held amongst participants, we have come up with a common strategy that is focused on four key areas which I have noted. First, the establishment of joint permanent commissions which will enhance business relations, particularly through the setting up of industrial parks and special economic zones. Second, state members to come up with concrete proposals to address the problem of skills mismatch through market-related training. Third, to address the impediments blocking seamless movement of goods and services. Fourth, to promote a collaborative effort amongst African financial services sector to in view of facilitating suitable investments. That was the Prime Minister of Mauritius, Pravind Kumar Jagnith, reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Tlantamatangu in Mauritius. It's at 23 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in the year 1961. Ghanaian President Kwame Nkrumah calls on world leaders to impose total economic and political sanctions on South Africa. That was today in history in the year 1961. <laughs> Hello, 
This month, the African Union will be hosting its inaugural African Economic Platform in the Mauritian capital of Port Louis. The summit will take place from the 20th to the 22nd of this month. This will be a forum for frank engagements between African heads of state, business leaders and academics on Africa's future. Furthermore, it will explore opportunities for the implementation of the AU Agenda 2063. Join Channel Africa Radio as we bring you unfolding events in Mauritius from the 20th to the 22nd of this month. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. A struggle of memory must be waged lest we forget the sacrifices of those who came before us. This is according to Premier of South Africa's Gauteng province, David Makura, who addressed crowds at a Human Rights Day commemoration held in Sharpville Township yesterday. The 1960 Sharpville massacre saw 69 people killed by the Abarte police during a peaceful protest. In the morning, government officials accompanied survivors of the massacre as well as family members of those who lost their lives on the day to the Pelindaba Cemetery for a memorial service. Wreaths were were then laid at the Sharpville Memorial across from the police station where protesters were gunned down. Jermaine Kricher was there. Those were the days of anger. The days of panic and fear. The days when our brothers and sisters disappeared into the police cells. Others came back. And the others never came back. Those were dark days. As the cast of Sarafina the Musical reminded revelers at the Human Rights Day commemoration at the George Tabe Stadium. Their performance stands in stark contrast with the day's festivities. But Human Rights Day is first and foremost a day of remembrance, as Gauteng Premier David Makura explains. Memorializing is so important so that no other regime can do the same. So you need younger generations to know there used to be this. They need to get the story and they must resolve that it cannot be happen in our lifetime. The struggle of memory against forgetting. What we stand for and what we don't stand for, what we reject. Because on days like this we also say we reject this system of apartheid. We reject a state that treats its own citizens who are simply protesting in that violent manner. So on an occasion like this, many generations to come must know there was Shabir. According to Prophet Paseka Motswaneng, known as Prophet Mboro, the culture of remembering and the culture of human rights is closely tied to human spirituality. Uh, the human rights issue, restoring the dignity of a man. Now it doesn't matter what a belief or a person has, religion they have. Human rights is universal. They are very important because they revive the sacrifices that were done. These were offerings, these were sacrifices. So it really goes a long way. It inspires even the next generation to stand for what you believe, what is right, uh, especially the human rights. Elizabeth Chabedi was 11 years old when she arrived home from school on the 21st of March to an empty house. When I, uh, uh, I arrived at home, I found there's nobody. My parents are going to police station. I'm starting playing like a child, I, I play like a little girl. There come the aeroplanes. They go up and down, up and down, and with big sound. I run to the toilet to hide myself. Terrified, she ran straight to the police station to find her parents and straight into the chaos that awaited. Uh, I arrived at the police station. I saw many people. They were singing Senzenina, Senzenina. I was starting to look my parents. I didn't find them. After a few minutes, I hear something, the big sound, like... I see the people running. I start running. On the way, when I was running, I, I hear something clap my hand. Like this. She cradles her mangled left hand with the missing fingers to her chest. She remembers running running for her life. Running. There were some people lying down. Yeah. 
I was jumping them, you know? She says yes. she still carries the physical and emotional scars with her. Many fellow survivors walk with crutches or canes, the bullets from that day still embedded in their bodies. This, says Makura, is why we must strive for equality and inclusion and why the fight for human rights is an ongoing one. This, says Makura, is why we cannot be allowed to forget. If you have a nation that has gone through the trauma and the violence and the killings, systematic and systemic violence, those who think it is not worthy of a pause to remember the people who passed on in the long road to our democracy. They are basically saying we must forget. But Elizabeth Chaveri feels forgotten. I, it's not right because we, we haven't got anything. The government do nothing for us. No. We are suffering. We didn't get uh, preparations. Nothing. You know, they, they remember us when it's 21 March. After that, they forget. That was Elizabeth Chabedi, a survivor of the Sharpville massacre, ending that report by Jermaine Gricher. It's 8.30 and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. In the headlines, five people have been killed after a car bomb exploded at a military checkpoint near the presidential palace in Somalia's capital, Mogadishu. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari has condemned the loss of lives of 17 people, mostly women and children, killed by gunmen in Benue State on Monday. And world leaders, experts and researchers in water and sanitation will converge on South Africa's coastal city of Durban to mark the annual World Water Day. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you. And governments around the world are being urged to take action to stop the fear and misfortune about minorities and migrants that is inciting racial hatred and profiling. The call was made by UN human rights experts on the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, observed annually on the 21st of March. A debate was held on Tuesday at the UN General Assembly on how governments can help counter the global crisis. The global rise in racism and intolerance. Jocelyn Sambira has more. The International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination commemorates the victims of the Sharpeville Massacre on March 21, 1960, in which 69 peaceful demonstrators were shot and killed by South African police under the former racist apartheid regime. 57 years later, it seems the world is becoming even more divided and people are increasingly intolerant, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said in his address to member states on Tuesday. People are being targeted because of their race, nationality, ethnicity, religion or sexual orientation. And borders are being closed and the international refugee protection regime is being undermined. In a time of upheaval and change, it's easy to paint vulnerable communities as the cause of problems. Migrants have become convenient scapegoats and xenophobia widespread. Women and girls of minority communities are often targeted and many minorities are experiencing racial profiling by authorities. Far too often, hate speech, stereotyping and stigmatization are becoming normalized and fringe figures have moved to center stage in many political systems. States are required under international law to take effective actions to prevent and eliminate all forms of discrimination in all fields, he reminded the delegates. The world is far from winning the global war against racism, xenophobia, and related intolerance, the UN General Assembly President Peter Thompson noted. Refugees and migrants are too often being received these days with suspicion, fear, and intolerance, he said. At a time when the world needs to call on its reserves of empathy and common humanity as we respond to the largest humanitarian and refugee crisis since World War II, we're instead too often witnessing hate crimes against immigrant asylum seekers, attacks against places of worship, and threats 
directly targeting migrants and minority groups. In such circumstances, we must reaffirm our faith in the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination, more than 50 years ago after its adoption by the General Assembly. Political leaders must role model tolerant and respectful attitudes towards migrants, Mr. Thompson said, adding that schools needed to promote cross-cultural education and foster a respect for diversity. Meanwhile, the positive role that migrants play in the economy and in society needs to be highlighted. The recently appointed Special Representative for International Migration, Louise Arbour, said, The world is now witnessing significant widespread hostility towards migrants in many countries, even in places that have taken pride in the past in welcoming migrants, she warned. We hear strident voices of apprehension towards migrants arriving at their borders today. The reality is that no country can claim to be free from racism, race, racial discrimination, xenophobia, or intolerance. When the discourse on migration policy reverts to feverish debates which demonize migrants as burdens to society or perpetuate inaccuracies, the factual and overwhelming positive contribution of migrants that they make to our societies and economies are overshadowed and risk being forgotten altogether. The UN estimates that there are 244 million international migrants in the world today, up from 175 million in the year 2000. Ms. Arbour said the UN Global Compact for a Safe, Orderly and Regular Migration, adopted last September, can help societies embrace diversity and change how the world perceives and treats migrants. She also urged support for the Together Campaign, a UN initiative that aims to change negative perceptions and attitudes towards refugees and migrants in partnership with member states, civil society, and the private sector. Jocelyn Sambira, United Nations. It's 8.35, and let's go back in time to today in 2012. Corona's officials ruled that singer Whitney Houston died by drowning the previous February, but that heart disease and cocaine use were contributing factors. That was today in history in the year 2012. Something is changing at Channel Africa. Could it be news? Could it be your favorite presenter? Could it be? That's for you, our listener, to find out. From the 1st of April 2017, something will be changing or happening on your radio station. Be the first one to find out by staying tuned in. Don't miss it. Remember to check our website and all social media platforms such as Twitter at Channel Africa One, our Facebook page and Instagram and YouTube. The Rwandan government has welcomed Pope Francis' move to seek forgiveness from the, on the Catholic Church's role in the Rwandan genocide. But some survivors say the decision has been long overdue. Silvanus Karamera has more from the capital. Kiga. Pope Francis announced this after discussions with Rwandan President Paul Kagame in Vatican. The discussions centered on the church's role in the most tragic chapters of Rwanda's past, leading up to the genocide in 1994. The Pope conveyed his profound sadness and that of the church for the genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda. Pope Francis implored a new God's forgiveness for the sins and failings of the church and its members, among whom priests and religious men and women who succumbed to hatred and violence, betraying their own evangelical mission. In an official statement from the government of Rwanda Foreign Affairs Minister here, Mushichu Abarwiz said the delegation had a very candid and constructive exchange on bilateral relations and the meeting was characterized by a spirit of openness and mutual respect. Rwanda's ambassador to Italy, François Savelin Grambe, had this to say. Uh, Pope Francis took the opportunity of this meeting to express his firm, strong condemnation of the crime of genocide, especially the crime of genocide against the Tutsi. He expressed his sadnesses and he expressed his empathy, his uh, compassion towards the victims of genocide towards the survivors of genocide. Pope Francis took also the opportunity to historically seek forgiveness, forgiveness for the church as an institution, 
for the failure of the church, forgiveness for the followers of the Catholic Church who betrayed their faith and perpetrated genocide and killed their fellow human beings. He sought forgiveness, especially for the priests, for those among the priests who also participated in genocide, those betraying the apostolical mission. Uh, also, Pope Francis commended the Rwandan bishops who made an important step and also expressed their apology, especially in the name of those fellows, of those Catholic who participated in the genocide against the Tutsi. The decision has also been received with high regard from genocide survivors. Dr. Jana Maseni Mizimana is Executive Secretary of National Commission Against Genocide. It's a commendable step by His Holiness the Pope. His predecessor, Pope John Paul II, had asked the Catholic Church in Rwanda to repent, but such a move had never been done. So for Pope, we appreciate this step. Rwanda's progress in reconciliation and economic development was noted, including the fact that survivors and repentant perpetrators have learned to live together and work side by side, and that shared Catholic faith has facilitated these efforts and provided comfort by Dr. Bizman, Executive Secretary of National Commission for the Fight Against Genocide, said this reconciliation has been hampered by genocide negators, including Catholic priests still looming around the globe. He says the Pope should have spoken out on this, too. One of the key points missing in the good message is that he must have spoken out on the church's priests who still propagating genocide on social media. Others have their own platforms. He would have said anything about this because negating genocide is like committing it. On 20th November last year, the Catholic Episcopal Conference of Rwanda issued a joint resolution apologizing for the role played by some of its members in the 1994 genocide that claimed over a million people. Silvanus Kalemera, reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. United Nations Water says 1,000 children die every day from illnesses linked to poor sanitation, but a new approach to wastewater could help do something about it. This comes as today marks World Water Day. The agency spokesperson Daniela Bostrom explains how the more efficient use of water could save lives and be an effective sustainable investment in health and environment. 80% of all wastewater today is just released back into the environment and this has major implications on health and also on the environment. So some examples of the health implications is from Lagos in Nigeria. It's a city that produces 1.5 million cubic meters of wastewater and the main part of that is just released back into the Lagos Lagoon where you have children bathing playing and when you put this into context with a thousand children dying every day due to unsafe water and sanitation that creates diarrhea this becomes a major problem. We also see these issues in uh, present pollutants in wastewater such as antibiotics or hormones or steroids that we yet need to see the implications of. And in terms of the environment, where you see there is that if you just release wastewater back into the environment, it can cause toxic algae blooming and it can also disrupt biodiversity. So we really need to focus on, on wastewater this year. But, but the good news is that there's a lot of things that can be done. So, for example, municipalities can clean their streets with wastewater. Um, you can also have industries that can reuse wastewater for heating or for cooling down systems or even for cleaning factories. And there's a lot on an individual level that can be done, such as just turning off the tap when you brush your teeth to not to create more wastewater that we then need to treat. How much of a problem is this? I mean, is there data showing how much water is being wasted around the world? Which countries are really getting a handle on the problem? Well, low-income countries, of course, are the the main ones. Where you see there's a great discrepancy between high-income countries and low-income countries. In low-income countries, you have nearly 70% that's being released into the environment, whereas in high-income countries, the number is around 8%. So there's a very big discrepancy here. So obviously we need more data gathering, and what is UN Water doing to facilitate that? 
Well, UN Water is a coordinating mechanism. So we look at policy and technical advice to member states. We also look at monitoring and reporting, especially for SDG 6 now, and to raise awareness and to create knowledge about water and sanitation for people. Are there any particular projects, perhaps with industry, where you're looking at reducing wastewater inefficiencies? There are some great examples, and from this textile industry that is a big water user and also wastewater producer, they have some very nice initiatives. One is called the Swedish Textile Industry Initiative um, that is looking at exactly this for wastewater and World Water Day this year. That was Daniela Bostrom, spokesperson at United Nations Water, speaking to UN Radio's Daniel Johnson. Let's go back in time to today in 1945. The Arab League was formed with the adoption of a charter in Cairo, Egypt. That was today in history in the year 1945. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Janowel Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yawundi. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Tabi Solohoko with an economics update. Good morning. Namibian President Hey Gengob has a call for radical land expropriations. Gengob says that the government could change the constitution as the redistribution process has been too slow. Namibia wants to transfer 43% of arable agricultural land to black people by 2020. Gengob is reportedly under pressure from factions within the ruling Swapo party to speed up land reform. The World Bank has dispersed another one billion US dollars in financial assistance to Egypt out of its three billion dollar loan program with the country. Egypt has been negotiating billions of dollars in aid from various lenders to help revive an economy hit by political upheaval since a revolt in two thousand and eleven and to ease a dollar shortage that has crippled imports and hampered its recovery. The World Bank has issued the first billion dollar tranche of the loan in two thousand and fifteen with the two more installments of the same size to follow. Symbion Power is seeking 561 million US dollars from Tanzania's state power supplier Tanasco via international mediation, accusing it of a breach of contract. Symbion owns a 120 megawatt thermal power plant in Tanzania's commercial capital. Um, commercial capital Dar es Salaam and is one of the handful of independent producers that sell power to state-owned utility Tanzania Electric Supply. Tanzania has reserves of over 57 trillion cubic feet of natural gas but faces chronic power shortages. Power cuts remain a big problem in Malawi due to sanitation and uh, increased demand. This according to the Electricity Corporation of Malawi, ESCOM. Meanwhile, Malawians have expressed concern over the current situation of blackouts, arguing that businesses which rely on electricity are being affected. George Mongo reports from Blintyre. The Electricity Supply Corporation of Malawi has since asked Malawians to keep on conserving energy as load sharing will continue for months to come. ESCOM has also put forward short-term mitigation measures as they are distributing free laid bulbs as an exercise, which will be completed by the end of March 2017. Kenya's central bank says it expects to lift the Chase Bank out of receivership soon by bringing in new shareholders. The mid-sized lender was temporarily closed by the regulator in April last year and uh, an unexplained loss of millions of U.S. dollars. Now, Kenya's... uh, 
bank was appointed its receiver and promised to return its normal operations by the end of the first quarter of this year. The US dollar trades at 12.62 in South Africa. It's at 10.12 in Botswana and at 9.48 in Zambia. 8.0 to the British pound, 9.2 to the euro. Gold, $1,233. Platinum, $969 an ounce. Brand crude oil, $51.50 a barrel. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Africa, rise and shine. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our update, we begin with football news. Botswana Football Association, the BFA, has revealed that the senior national team, the Zebras, will camp in Morocco in May. This is after BFA and the Federation of Morocco Football Association, FMRF, signed a memorandum of understanding to work together. According to the press release from the BFA, as part of the agreement, both the BFA and FMRF shall, among others, work together and facilitate the organization of friendly matches of national senior, local and Olympic teams. The agreement will also transcend to the youth setup, where football camps for youth categories under 15s, under 17s and under 20 and women's national teams will be organized. And barely a week after withdrawing from the participation in the qualifiers from the African Nations Championship, Chan 2018 in Kenya, and the Africa Cup of Nations, AFCON 2019 in Cameroon, the Football Association of Malawi, FAM, has made a dramatic U10 and will now play in both qualifiers. FAM Secretary General Alfred Gunda says a number of development came through to help them renege on their withdrawal stance. If we are not fully uh, supported, by this time, then we withdraw from uh, the, the competition. So what uh, has happened is that what, since we made that indication, there are a number of developments that have come through. Uh, we are talking to government. Government has since said that we, we look at options that uh, would be available to support our participation. There, there is also uh, an opportunity uh, with discussions with FIFA so because of this, we are saying now that we, 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 we seem to be having some, uh, some green light at the end of the tunnel, then we, 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 we can't continue saying that we are going to withdraw. In rugby news, Sun Wolves rugby side coach Philo Tiatia believes that the Stormers will provide them with the ultimate challenge ahead of the Vodacom Super Rugby Clash in Singapore this weekend. Even though the Stormers have sent a diluted side to face the Sun Wolves in Singapore, Tia Tia is very wary of how good Robbie Flex sides are. Tia Tia, though, has been encouraged by their recent trip to South Africa, where they pushed both the Cheetahs and the Bulls in their losses and wants his team to keep on improving. Well, the Stormers are a different beast. You know, they're a good team, well coached, second best defensive uh, record in competition last year, second best. Least line breaks, um, they're still defending pretty well. Um, you know, they're stopping teams playing, and so it's going to be a different challenge. Uh, both teams are going to be leaving here, come to Singapore, humidity, um, you know, and there'll be two teams that want to be playing. Um, we're not going to change too much.
In Golf News, Jordan Spieth says it'll be nice having this Masters go by as he reflected upon the 2016 U.S. Masters tournament where he threw away the lead in the final round when in a commanding position. Speaking on Tuesday before the WGC match play event begins in Austin, Texas today, the American was asked about how he felt now that about his disastrous quadruple bogey seven. No matter what happens this, at this year's Masters, whether I can grab the jacket back or I f- miss the cut or I finish 30th, it'll be nice having this Masters go by. You know, the Masters lives on for a year. It, it brings a non-golf audience uh, into golf. And uh, it'll be nice once this year's is, is finished from, from my point of view, to be brutally honest with you. So uh, it would be best if, uh, if I could reclaim... Uh, the jacket, but um, I believe that I'll be back up there sooner or later. Uh, just the way that we play the golf course, the success we've had, and the comfort level I have there. Rory McIlroy was asked about whether he agreed with Spieth's wish for the tournament to be over so that the questions would go away. I still get questioned about the back nine at Augusta in 2011. You know, it's, it's just something you have to deal with. It's something that happened and something that's not going to go away. You know, it's 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 there, and it always will be. Um, but I, I, of course, I sympathise with him. Like I had a chance to win a, a green jacket, and I, I I didn't. He he had the same chance last year. But you know, as I said last week, he can console himself by opening up his wardrobe and seeing one hanging there. So um, it's a little bit different. But you know, no matter what happens this year, those those questions will always still be there and still linger a little bit. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the hour. Concerns over deteriorating security situation in the DRC. And governments urged to do more to stop racial hatred. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumutsura Magadza and Khomutsu Mopulane, technical producer Maria Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Africa, or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. And taking us to the top of our folding news on the frequency, 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Lesejo with a song titled Mambi.
Olympia. 